Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Backfire Man cast. Sitting down with Emily and Garrett again. It's a great day to be alive. You know it. Sun's still shining when I close my eyes. Remember that song? Yeah. Remember he gives that growl in that song? Rawr! Rawr! Uh-huh. I love that. Yeah. It was fantastic. <laughs> Pretty soon, Garrett will be able to figure out how to pull in that little clip so you all could hear the same thing instead yeah. of us. <laughs> okay. It's one of the best the country songs of all time. That and the the Who Loves Tacos song, that was pretty great. Oh, yeah. That was me, a little jingle. What was who, that? Who this, Loves Tacos. Who Loves Tacos. And that's not really what they're saying, but boy, does it sound like it. But why don't we talk about some gun stuff today, Jim? Fine. No tacos. <laughs> well, you have been out and about hunt, uh, just like... Going from place to place with different companies, one with Go Hunt and one with the Western Hunt Expo, which you've had a good time doing. They've been kind of fun, but you haven't really told me anything about what you saw there. At well, first one, at the Western yeah. at the Western Hunt Expo, and you told me that it was more of like a consumer show. So we went to SHOT Show a little while ago, and that was just announcing, you know, what's new in the whole gun industry as a whole. But this is people buying and selling stuff, direct-to-consumer kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's it's held in Salt Lake at the Salt Palace, and it's pretty massive. Like, it's a big show. It, it, I mean, people are flying from all over to come to the show. It The... It's not as big as Shot Show. No, not even not even anywhere in the ballpark of Shot Show. But it's it's in terms of how many people come there, it's big. Okay. And so the companies, it's a pretty eclectic group of of booths. You know, you have some of the gun companies. You know, Fierce, Christensen, Sig Sauer are there, and then you would, and then you'll also see. A whole bunch of outfitters, you know, everybody wants to sell you a hunting trip in Alaska or Africa. And then just a whole bunch of just gadgets and, you know, hunting knives and game bags and sleeping bags and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. A few things that I was interested in. Um, I I could be interested in a, a, one of those lay flat hammocks. That could be interesting to sleep in. And the reason is that sometimes when you're backcountry hunting, you cannot find a flat spot to put a tent. Like there's just no flat spot at all. And so I thought, huh, if you could, you know, when you're up in the up in the steep mountains. And so, huh, if you had a one of those hammocks, it gets you so you could make a flat spot anywhere, you know, just tie between two trees. But then it, you know, it's a it's a you you know what I'm talking about, the lay flat hammocks, right? So you're yeah. not bent up like a banana, like mm-hmm. it has a little thing in it. That would be pretty cool for that that situation. But the other thing is, so I like bringing one of those like super ultralight, like one person tents. Mm-hmm. The problem with those is if it's a downpour, you're going to get pretty wet in those. Oh, really? Yeah, because there's just not a lot of space for water to run out away from the tent and so it kind of pools around you mm-hmm. you know like in a big tent like around the edges it just gets a little damp over there and in one of those tiny little one-man tents kind of comes through a tiny bit and also they're often not dual layer you know it's not like the rain fly and the inner tent it's just the one layer mm-hmm. and we experienced on the bear hunt last year how much water was coming through that tent, mm-hmm. uh, through that single layer tent. And I was like, this is like a $600 tent. And like every drop of rain would just put this fine little mist of water in in into the tent through the fabric. And that was a, the is, one of the seek outside ones. That was the big canvas one we no, were the in. the little one, I guess. Uh, maybe you weren't in it the, the day that we actually shot the bear. The teepee. Yeah, the teepee. Mm-hmm. It's like a $600 tent from seek outside and i'm telling you there was a major mist coming through the tent i was i was pretty disappointing honestly well i would think that that one would be a little bit nicer though because one you could have a buddy in there with you and two 
you could sit up. The single man tents, aren't they just lay down only? Yeah, th- that is a major problem. If the teepee is nice because you do have space. The problem with the teepee is it's going to do you no good if you got ticks because there's no floor. Yeah, that was a disaster. That was a problem. You <laughs> kind of want a tub tent on a spring bear hunt. There are ticks out. And so you kind of want a tub tent. Yes, this year when we go on the bear hunt, Jim... I know I have been hesitant to go back, <laughs> but maybe it will be fun because I do remember when we left, I agreed we needed to come back, do it right the second time because there were way too many ticks and oh, I just didn't like that. It was a lot of ticks. But there are ways that you cannot have them on you and and aren't Aren't they not as dangerous as I was imagining? Yeah, so from what we read on one of the Idaho government websites, the ticks, at at least in that region of Idaho, don't carry Lyme disease typically. Mm -hmm. And so I I was more worried about it because everybody was getting bit. And I thought, ah, crap, we got to all go to the doctor and get a shot within. Because you have to get it within like five days, I think. Oh, I thought it was quicker than that. But yes, it was soon. You had yeah, to recognize soon. it. If if you get a get a shot after getting bit by a tick like soon, it's from what I understand, I'm no expert here at all. I'm sure we have some doctors in Backfire Plus that can comment on oh, this. Oh, for but, sure. Um my understanding is if you you get it within, you know, whatever it is, five days or something, maybe it's two, I can't remember, then it's really not that big of a deal. But if you wait and you get Lyme disease, it's a that's a you do a, not want that. It's a pretty bad deal. Yes, I've known women, like just recently, I've had a couple of friends who have had Lyme's disease. I thought it was just almost eradicated. Like people don't really get that anymore. But yeah, no, I think it's no, bad. They do. And probably that's where my fear is stemming from, just not knowing entirely how to protect myself or even what the damage could be done if right. I did get bit. Yeah, so I think in some places it is worse than where we were. Uh, that the ticks just aren't, you know, aren't as dangerous, whatever. But anyway, it's still a thing. I'm thinking I need to look into a hunting onesie. <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? Tell me about this. Okay. Like a big zip up onesie so that they can't get inside. The ticks. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that sound pretty great? Because the problem is they're going to get between your, your shirt and your pants and right. crawl in. Uh-huh. Right? So I'm saying a hunting, a long sleeve, long pant, hunting onesie would be pretty great. Okay. That is actually a pretty good idea because then you could protect yourself and check around your ankles and legs. That'd be way easier. And maybe it should be your socks as well. It just goes like <laughs> basically pajamas. I'm thinking of like those pajamas that have like the hood and the footies in them. Yeah. This is reminding me of the news story where, no, it wasn't even a news story. It was just somebody advertising on social media that they would, you could call this person and he would come to your house in a onesie. Oh yeah, I was in a hotel. And he would wriggle around inside your bed sheets to warm up your bed for you. Yeah, it was a hotel. I can't remember where in Japan or something that you can buy that service and he'll like go up in your bed and like essentially just run in his onesie so he doesn't get in your, your you know, he's not spreading cooties or anything. But he just gets it all hot. And then you check into your room. <laughs> I wondered if he covered his head. He would have to for me to feel safe. <laughs> oh, that was the best thing ever. Oh, that was great. Well, Jim has owned a couple of onesies in his lifetime. Yeah. And I... I Christmas onesies? Got rid of those. No, they that's a necessity. It's not even Christmas if you don't have a onesie. No, you can do that with your guys. My Stormtrooper onesie? Oh, man, that Wait. thing was nice. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I should wear my Stormtrooper onesie on the bear hunt. Okay, well, that would be interesting. You'd, You'd be so warm. hot. Yeah, that yeah. thing was hot. Yeah. Stormtrooper onesie. And then he had another onesie that was like, it had it was a shark, and the shark was open at the top you know like this big shark jaw was a big yeah it looked like the human was being eaten by the shark when you put it on yeah (laughs) yeah i remember that one that one where is that 
Um, I may have thrown it away. No, that thing was awesome. I don't know if I could be attracted to you if you're wearing that. Hey, you must not like Christmas cheer then, because I was full of Christmas cheer. Well, I own a elf onesie. Yeah, okay. If I wore the Stormtrooper and you wore the elf and we went hunting, sounds like a great idea. That would be really neat. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) I will think about that. (laughs) Are there lots of other places, though? Like, what other kinds of things do you have to... Other kinds of insects, I guess, that you have to worry about like that? Ticks? Mosquitoes in in some countries. Mosquitoes in other countries? Yeah. Like in Brazil, everybody gets dangy. That is not fun. Well, this air... This area that we were in was Idaho, right, for the bear hunt. And then what countries do you know that that you have to worry about the mosquitoes? Oh, I don't know. I know in in some parts of Africa and at least in Brazil, uh, they'd get, I I don't know how you, we would always say dengue. I don't don't remember, is it dengue fever in in English? I can't remember Mm, what. I don't know, but who? Anyway, it was nasty. I visited a couple people in the hospital that had it and- they like had all the lights off and they just felt like just sharp nails were just stabbing them everywhere. Uh. They said it was the most painful thing they'd ever experienced. Oh, that sounds terrible. I don't know if they were getting proper medical care. It was Brazil after all. You could go into a hospital with your head half chopped off and they'd be like, sit in the waiting room and wait four hours at Brazil. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's the worst. Every time that everybody's talking about socialized medicine, I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. It's, it's not pretty that bad, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Where? How did we get there? We I were talking about the Western Hunt Expo. I don't know, but I was actually, I was actually curious what your true feelings were about <laughs> about the ticks because then you went back a little bit later on a different hunt with Tate and or Twinkie, and there was a deer. It was with Ruger, and you said it was just covered in ticks. Like, oh yeah, how do men feel about this? Are they just like? Oh, I feel powerful and I'm gritting through this. I mean, women, they find no joy or accomplishment in living through something like that. Um, neither. I guess I don't feel anything. It's just a bug. You just flip it off and just go about your day. Oh, really? I thought maybe you felt a little triumphant. Mm, it's too small. Maybe if they had sharper teeth, I would feel like, yeah, it did it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, well, good to know. So, yes, the Western Hunt Expo. Yeah, it was good. They there were a lot of interesting products. I honestly that hammock, I did think like I wouldn't I don't think I would use it all the time, but if you could get off the ground so water can't pull under you and it would help you to to be able to, you know, sleep in an area that wasn't flat, I thought, ah, you know, it kind of makes some sense. I could see doing something like that. But I feel like there's no one tent for backcountry trips, like it just depends where you're, where you're going. going. It really the does. Conditions are like I wouldn't like you know I talked about the seek outside Cimarron that is not worth the price. I I just you guys it should not rain through that tent when it costs that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was paper thin. Like I thought, yeah, if super lightweight. Snagged it, sure. it was just going to tear right through. But you know I you know yes I'm I'm not happy with that. No, I'm not happy with that. <laughs> Sometimes I do that. Anyway, but at the same time, I take that tent a lot mm-hmm. because if I think rain is unlikely, but I do want some cover just in case, and we have you know me and the boys to be able to sit up and stuff, it's super light. So yeah, I pick it all the time, even though, man, I feel like it has major limitations. Mm-hmm. So, But a lot of times, like on the spring bear hunt, forget it. I want a tub tent. You know, you want to be able to have some place that you can go and just not think about ticks. A tub tent, you're meaning like the one like we that, stayed like in. Like a regular Coleman tent that has a bottom to it. Okay. At just your campsite. You don't pack it right. anywhere. Well, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you could, could pack it in. Yeah. It's kind of heavy. Aren't those kind of heavy? Sometimes. Some of them aren't very bad. Hmm. But, and, and also, if you're hunting in a place where it's going to rain a lot, having a tent that is not going to be annoying to spend a full day in if it rains or two. Like that's a pretty important consideration. Cause if you're in one of those tents that you can't even sit up and it's pouring outside, 
Are you just going to stay laying down in that little spot for two days? Yeah. That is misery. So, I, I, yeah, if, if there's a realistic chance of rain, I want a much bigger tent. I'm the kind of person who I need to be able to enjoy the hard task that I'm going through in order for the hard task to be worth it for me. So I'm not, Jim is totally opposite. He's like, he's just going to grit through this. And so maybe laying down in a tent for two days, he would, I'm surprised actually to hear you say that that would be terrible and you would not like that. Oh no, that would be terrible. Yeah, no, not, not pleasant. (laughs) I would not pick that. (laughs) I would not pick that. (laughs) Oh, well, that's something I learned about you today. All right. So we had an interesting week last week with Mike the Marine coming to shoot. Um, okay. I'll, I'll just say this right from the get-go because I, I don't want to be dancing around the whole podcast around this. So I'll just say right, right from the get-go, since this is the podcast and we like to give it to you straight, it was a very poor performance uh, uh, in terms of shooting. Um, and it was, I think people can do a lot better than that. Um, and so I'm sure some of the hate on the video is, uh, people just saying, you know, what people can do much better. I, I believe you for sure. Yeah. I was so, I was surprised. I didn't go with you to the, do the video, but I was very surprised to hear about it afterward Yeah, because he seemed very, very capable. So something must have been off that day. That was just so weird. Yeah. So that's kind of what I want to talk about is what exactly happened? You know, what were the mistakes that were made? Because I'll tell you right now, you could do a lot better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if we avoided some mistakes that were pretty obvious mistakes that needed to be rectified in order to to do better on that. So I, I guess just quick catch up if you haven't seen the video yet. Uh, so this was a commenter. The the bet was, I, I said in a live stream, anybody that, you know, there's no one alive who can hit 100 shots out of 100 in realistic hunting conditions out to just 600 yards. Mm-hmm. And he said he could. And so we flew him out here to, to prove it. And we won the bet by quite a lot. Uh, he really didn't hit that many targets. Um, and so uh, the reason I want to just say this right from the beginning is I don't want to be dancing around the fact that uh, I, 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 we're not trying to dunk on anybody at all. He's a nice guy, super, super nice guy. He was brave enough to come out and actually do this. There were three other people that said I can do it that we offered to send, to fly out and all of them <clears throat> ended the conversation <laughs> yeah. um, when they actually were, when it was the put up or shut up moment, they just <laughs> stopped responding. Mm-hmm. And so awesome, dude, this is not at all a dunk session. What this is about to me is the average hunter who thinks they can, they can a hundred percent hit targets out to 600 and cannot. Mm-hmm. And I think that encompasses 99% of hunters out there. Mm-hmm. Whatever ethical range you say, I bet you can't hit 100 or out of 100 out to that range. What do you what is the purpose? What is the reasoning for that? I mean because it's not just people thinking they're better than they actually are because they're prideful or like, you know, in their head, but I think there are some factors or elements that are are giving them that you know, thinking. Uh, yeah, I I think one of those things is YouTube and watching, uh, watching you know shots being made, seeing seeing that, and you having shot some, but not really having tried it yourself. And I think that was the situation here. Mm. Uh, I mean, he's a marine; he has a lot of shooting experience, but that's very different than this with a, with a three hundred Win Mag hunting rifle in hunting conditions. Um, and so, I mean, we're not clear in a room to try to find a bear, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, I think it's easy to say, hey, I got a rifle. It's shooting one minute. I can hold really steady and I cannot flinch. And so, ha, I have a six-inch circle out to 600 yards. That means I can hit everything, uh, you know, a hunting size target out to 600 yards. It's okay. easy to think that way. Because they're shooting well at 600 yards on a target. 
at the range if they even are shooting out to 600 yards you know i think a lot of it is 100 and then translating in your mind 100 yards one inch 600 yards six inches i'm good Ah. and not realizing that no that is not the same thing oh i or anything close to it and so so garrett i guess you were there uh what what were some of the mistakes that that you noticed and you know garrett you're a new shooter yeah but, but you know, after it was over, you came up to me and said, you know, this didn't seem right. That didn't seem right. You know, even a new shooter, we were able to identify some things that were not correct. Well, the biggest thing I think was, I so I edit your videos and I edited the video with Eric Cortina teaching Ruger how to, how to shoot long range with a rifle. And the biggest thing that I remember was when he very clearly said that he never loads the front bipod because in specific conditions you can't or else it it messes with your accuracy. And so he puts all of his pressure and weight in the back of the gun, but it was the complete opposite with Michael the Marine. He, you could tell he was definitely loading his bipod and he didn't have any kind of, he didn't bring any kind of rear support, which I, I thought was pretty necessary after watching Eric Cortina's, uh, long-range shooting lesson video. Um, And then the other thing was when he would shoot, when he would miss, he wouldn't really take time to see where he missed. He would kind of just reload and shoot again and kind of just do the same thing. And even when he was like, oh, I can't see where it's going, he would just keep on shooting. So those are the two biggest things that I noticed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a few things there. So with loading the bipod, I, I think what was interesting about what Eric Cortina said is, I, I think he he wasn't on, he wasn't saying not to load the bipod, but that he doesn't feel that it's necessary to load the bipod. Right. Um, and that there are he I think he even said there are, you know some some guns where it helps, some where it doesn't, you know, depending on things. Um, but. I, Everybody out there, 100% of guys, if you're to just walk around a competition, nearly everybody is going to say, yes, you have to load the bipod, which means you're just putting some forward pressure on the buttstock of the gun to kind of push it forward into the bipod. Everybody says that. I was so glad when Eric said that because I've done quite a lot of testing when I'm just shooting groups with guns. I'm like, huh, let's just see what that looks like. You know, back, you know, pulling back on the bipod, no pressure on the bipod, kind of in the middle and then forward. And I'm like, I don't think I can see anything. (laughs) And so I love it when people like Eric Cortina say things like that, because, you know, he's a world champion. What he's doing clearly works. And so it really undercuts a lot of that just common wisdom of what everybody says, but nobody actually tests. Anyway, I think that's cool. So I, I, I guess to be clear, I don't think he's saying never load the bipod. It never helps that. I, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's, what he's saying is, uh, you know, find what works with that gun, but you probably don't need to do that. Anyway. I really liked that Eric Cochina video and I, I don't even, I haven't even looked to see how many views it got, but I would definitely recommend anybody watching that. Like that gave me a lot of information, just learning how to be accurate. Yeah, for sure. It was pretty cool. And I was amazed that he would dry fire for four hours straight and that his daughter would do that. That was amazing. Pretty crazy. But I could see why you would. So you mentioned loading the bipod. What were the other things you said there, Garrett? Uh. I guess there's two other things. I mean, I um, he didn't really look for where he missed. He would just ah, reload yes. his gun and shoot. Yeah, so there was one target that was not that far out. I think it was only 350 yards that he missed. I could see in the spotter where he missed, um, but, you know, I, I wasn't, wasn't helping. Um, and he missed six inches left. And then he re-engaged six inches left, six inches left. I, if I remember right, it was seven shots yep. that all landed six inches left. And he just wasn't accounting for a tiny bit of wind, I think. Um, and when I saw his final zero, uh, when he zeroed in the morning before he got started, I, he, this is where I did help a little bit. He, he zeroed and he was just one click left. And I said, are you sure you don't want to go one more click over? 
And he said, ah, no, I think it's going to push me the other way. And I thought, no, because that's about a half inch there. Um, and so I, it was one or two clicks that I felt like we needed to come right. Uh, but he's like, ah, it's close. But I thought, oh, but now if, if we're two clicks off, you know, now it's at 600 yards, you know, we're talking about three inches. That's significant um, to be off by that. Anyway, so he would, I, I think there was already that. And then there was just a little bit of a breeze and every shot just kept drilling. He was very consistent in the way he pulled the trigger and everything, because just, I think we put eight shots in a row into the same poor little piece of dirt. Um, and I, I looked over after the second shot and I, I said, do you see where you're going? And he said, yes. But then I looked on his scope and he was zoomed into 25 power. There is no chance at 25 power with a 300 wind mag um, in, a, in with no break in a in a Tika. He's spotting the impact at 25 power. I, that's an, I, I don't think so. I certainly couldn't do that. Um, he was just zoomed in way too much. And if you would have zoomed out to about 12 power, which I think is where most people would shoot that, you'd be probably be able to spot your impact there and then be able to reengage and actually do something. But that that shows the the lack of of confidence in the system. Whenever somebody reengages and they put the shot in the same spot, it means I think I was the problem in pulling the trigger. Right? Uh, you know, I wasn't real steady. I didn't do a good job, and so they're not making any correction. And um, yeah, usually if you see where you miss, I mean, you should be able to reengage and immediately. 100% hit because you know exactly where your gun's going at that at that distance you know because you can would you just would you change your ballistics yeah just go six inches right you know just say oh I must have called the wind wrong or whatever but if you're not confident in your system then you say eh, maybe the gun just missed try again you know what I mean um, but if you have real confidence in that system you know you're right if you miss six inches left you immediately go six inches right and it nails it yeah. But you have to know your system is know on. your gun's on, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But certainly after missing twice and hitting the exact same spot, that would always be a signal to, to re-engage re and, and adjust. But he, he couldn't see where he was hitting. Mm -hmm. And so I kept saying, can you spot your impact? And he kept saying yes, but I thought, there's <laughs> no way. There's no way you're seeing it at 25 power and apparently not because we're hitting the same spot. Huh. And then there was one more thing that I re realized. Um, you actually brought this up to me while we were out there. Just the fact that we put him through several different scenarios, put him, made him shoot in different positions and from different places and stuff. And he didn't have any kind of tripod for standing or kneeling or anything, which definitely made his life a little harder that day yeah big time and we even we were going super nice because again we don't we we did not want this to turn into an internet dunk on this guy session and so once we saw that there was going to be a pretty low hit rate for the day we, we readjusted what targets we were shooting to make it easier um for him because I, I would have liked to have done a lot more positional shooting he really shot i don't know 80 percent 90 percent of everything prone because uh, we tried to find him nice spots that he'd have the best chance of hitting. Um, anyway, so yeah, when I saw he pulled up out of the truck that day and had no tripod, I thought, uh oh, there's the red flag, you know, because we're, in, you know, there's going to be hunting situations and we're going to have hard, you know, hard positions and have no, like, what's the plan then? What, what, how are we, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't have like a backpack to use as a rest, no tripod to use as a rest. Like, how are we going to get above the brush? You know, that's hunting situations. And then, and then, yeah, I saw that and I was concerned. And then when he laid down to shoot groups in the morning to sight in, he had no rear rest at all. And that's where I, I, I would have bet, I would have bet the farm that he wasn't going to, you know, make a hundred shots out of a hundred because without a rear rest, that's just not going to happen out yeah. to 600 yards. Mm -hmm. So there's something kind of interesting about rear rest. It, you know, the bullet flies out of that barrel fast. And so just because you got knocked off crazy during recoil does not mean you missed. You may have hit perfectly. You know, we didn't move the gun until that the bullet was gone. 
But there's something about rear rest that, you know, you can see, you know, you just have that image in your mind of what the scope looks like when the tr- when the trigger breaks and, you know, the bullet is right there, exactly where, where it was right when the trigger broke, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's something about not having a rear rest that increases that, that like, I'll see right where my crosshairs were. And if I don't have a rear rest, the bullet fly flew worse than that, <laughs> than that image in your mind. And so, you know, the gun has this tiny, tiny little millimeter of movement during the shot that I think not having that rear rest can really mess up. Now, there are some some uh, exceptions to that. For example, competition like PRS shooters will sometimes do what's called free recoil, where they're shooting such heavy guns that they sometimes won't even put the recoil pad on their shoulder. They'll just they'll just kind of set it up on a prop, whatever, and put their head in so they can see this the um, the scope, but they're not even engaging the gun. They're just letting it fire, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because they're shooting such light cartridges and such a heavy gun that that's what's controlling the recoil. We don't really even need your body to do so. That's different in a Tika T3X with a 300 Win Mag, and so I I just I've anecdotally seen that that if I don't have a solid rear rest even if my crosshairs are dead when i pull the trigger the the target ends up that my group is much wider than what i had seen in this scope mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah it is kind of it and i think that's why i liked that eric cortina practiced on a dry fired gun so much because mm-hmm. because there is that tiny little movement that you could just you yeah. know and and that scope when you're looking at that target like it's just such a small area that you're trying to keep track of and then needing to f- spot the impact then and that's what's going to make i mean make the difference in whether or not you're accurate shooter mm-hmm. <laughs> like that dry firing and that that bag i could see would be like the key yeah absolutely it was interesting that that those were the biggest red flags to me is no rear rest was like a ah what's happening <laughs> like this is not going to work not out to 600 i mean i don't care if you have a rear rest out you know 200 yards fine um but if we're shooting 600 yards to hit a hunting size target oh man we got to have a rear rest for sure well so you can't always have a rear rest like you you know if you are I don't know. I guess I would. If I'm shooting 600 yards, I think I would always have a rear rest. You would always be in the prone position? So a lot of times, yes. In fact, I'd say 90% of the time hunting, I'm in prone position. I will search for a spot in the landscape that I can do it. Sometimes there's brush, whatever, right? So if you're shooting off a tripod in a kneeling position, then I'd bring a backpack under my arm to support the, the rear of the gun. So, mm-hmm. but boy, at 600 yards, really any position without a rear rest is going to be rough. I, you know, it, you know, standing off a tripod, a lot of times people bring a second tripod and put it under their arm uh, to support it. You know, kneeling, a backpack under your arm or under the butt of the gun. If you're laying down, then, you know, a jacket folded up under the back of the gun or something if you're in a hunting situation, but something. And just just putting your hand back there, does not seem to work that well. You can just see your pulse movement bumping the gun when you have just your hand back there. And it, it just, it works okay. You know, if we're shooting 250 yards, fine. But I just don't know how many times I've said like, oh, it's not matching where I see the shot break if I don't have a rear rest. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's really weird. Hunting rifle accuracy is so different than really any other shooting discipline like nobody really talks about this what we're talking about nobody talks about this even among the best competition shooters because their discipline is so different they're shooting 15 20 40 pound guns in some competition disciplines and it's just very different and so when you've got to manage a 300 win mag in a light lightweight rifle with hunting type rests just the shooting skills are different it's not the same thing well, and I mean, yes, because Michael Marine was a Marine and yeah. he was trained, well-trained in shooting, just yes. different, different shooting. Yeah. 
different discipline. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like if I were to go shoot a, a pistol competition, like I would just get destroyed, <laughs> absolutely destroyed. It's just a different discipline. Just the fact that you're around guns all day does not mean, you know, it, there are, there's just different skills. Well, Jim, I would really like to see you perform this sometime. Do you think, like, because... The Mike the Marine, the, the milk teacher, Yes. There's always the naysayer that's like, well, I want to see you do it. I'm going to be that person. Yeah. Do you think that maybe you could show us on like a video sometime of you doing the same thing Michael Marine I, I I'm dying to, uh, honestly, because, you know, it's another one of those things that I... I I, I absolutely guarantee I can get a higher hit rate for sure. Just seeing the mistakes that were made, I thought, ooh, we can do a lot better than that. Mm-hmm. But could I, can I hit 100 shots out of 100 out of 600 yards? No, I can't. And I guess that was the whole point of the bet. I don't think that's possible by anyone. How many the do you best think in the that world. you could get? That's, that's what I keep wondering. And that's why <laughs> I'm dying to do it myself. I'm dying to do it myself. Uh, because, you know, okay. Well, let's see. I kind of feel like in the conditions we gave him where he shot eight of eighty percent of it, ninety percent of his shots prone, I think in that kind of scenario, I think I'd be better than eighty mm-hmm. percent out to six hundred yards. Anything in three hundred yards is it'd be very odd to miss, I think. Um three hundred to five hundred, I think I'd probably be pretty high percentage. It's the five to six that Man, stuff can just happen out there. Just a tiny bit of wind can really mess you up. Really? Like, cause how how much how much you know? Cause the area of error gets bigger the further you go out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how much error could you have? Nine inches or something like that? Okay. And still hit the target. Well, okay. So that's a good question. So you know, let's say our milk jug is a, about eight inches. You know, it's taller than it is wide, but call it whatever an eight inch circle, if it were something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if I have a gun that we call half him away, but is probably three quarters him away, mm-hmm. right out to, out to 600 yards, whatever math that is, that's maybe five inches right there. Right. And so you got like three or four inches to play with mm-hmm. and still be on the milk jug. That's rough. Like, that's a very hard, yeah. I mean, I, the tiniest gust of wind and you're off of it, right? And so that's why I say, that's why I think the challenge is not possible for somebody to make 100 out of 100. Now, some guys are crazy good and they could get a very high percentage. Uh, you know, the guys that win the NRL Hunter matches, I think, would be the ultimate for this this game that we've set up here because do they shoot in those matches in hunting positions yeah it's hunting positions um and kind of terrain you know they're yeah they're not they're not shooting off like wood obstacles like prs where they just make up an obstacle mm-hmm. you know they're shooting off a log and stuff like that um but the the bigger deal in nrl hunter is you have to use hunting cartridges you can't use the super light 6gt in a 20 pound gun you can use a lightweight gun heavier hitting cartridge. I think you can use a 6.5 Creedmoor in that game, which is, uh, I'd love to see a game where you really are, get a major benefit by going to the heavier cartridge. like, I want to see people win with a 7 PRC or a 300 PRC, you know, Mm. that really gives you the advantage for shooting something heavier. Mm. But anyway, I digress. Some of those guys could do extremely well on this challenge, extremely well, 95%. But I don't think there's person on earth that could do 100. What? Tell me, maybe this isn't appropriate to talk about, but this is like a free space, right? So I can talk about some niping. <laughs> it's a, This is a safe space. <laughs> sure. I'm just curious how the snipers are different than hunters. Or maybe they're the same. And like maybe a military sniper? Yes, a military sniper. Because they have to get 100 out of 100 shots and probably from way further away. I don't think they make 100 out of 100 or anywhere near it, honestly. I Because, you know, they're, you know, whatever. They see somebody on a rooftop way over there and they're trying to take that one guy out. I don't think they have to be 100%. And I don't think they can be. It's not possible. I think they miss a lot. Really? Yeah, I think they... Would but miss quite a few times. As they soon as it. that, in, as soon as the enemy was shot at, it's like 
blitzkrieg. So you think the military just prepare for that? Like if our sniper misses, everybody's going to war. Well, I'm the wrong guy to be asking about this. Obviously, I don't have experience in it. But my understanding is in talking to some of those guys who do actually do it, and I have shot with some of them, that that the real game is concealment. You know, they're they're finding a a room where, you know, the bad guys aren't going to know where they are. They're setting up way away from the window in a dark room so that, you know, even if somebody's scanning with binoculars, they can't tell where that shot came from and stuff. You know, they're trying to conceal themselves so that their their position isn't obvious when they shoot. But they would but the enemy would still know that that pers- that he was shot at. Yeah. Right? Yep. I mean, cuz the bullet's going to go pretty near him. Yep. Yeah, but you don't know where to run. You don't know where that bullet came from, you know. Huh. Anyway. Yeah, I so anyway, I think it's it, it really is just the whole experience, it went a lot different than I expected. I expected that he was going to get 75, 80, and he was going to do really well. But I knew absolutely there's no way he's going to get 100. It's just not going to happen. Because NRL Hunter matches would not exist if this were possible. Because somebody would just win if they could get 100 out of 100. Right? And so I, I felt very... I, I knew what was going to happen. It, but I didn't think it would be this low of a performance of, of his hit rate. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, it was awesome. It, it was great. I I'm glad it happened that way in a way, because it's a shot across the, uh, everybody's bow to say like, huh? Well, if I think I can hit 80, am I really 50? Yeah. You know what I mean? Until you actually do it. Do you know? And you know, your average hunter, most average hunters will tell you they can shoot out to 400 yards and they go through one box a year. They don't do any of this kind of stuff that we're talking about. They're not listening to this podcast and stuff. And so your average Joe Hunter who says he has a range of 400, I doubt that it's two. Well, because it's from what you said earlier, right? Which was kind of eye-opening to me. But it's that they're practicing sighting in their gun at 100 yards. And they don't go past that until they go hunting. And they go hunting and they get their animal, but it's like, Oh, I shot like in the butt instead of the heart. <laughs> right. It was just a bad shot. You know, they don't really read too much into it or try to figure out why. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. In fact, I, this is a project that I would love to do. And Mike, Mike the Marine, super nice dude. We liked him. Um, he is a wildlife biologist and he works at check stations, you know, hunter check stations where you, you know, check in your deer on the way back. Uh-huh. I thought that would be an awesome project to do with a fish and game agency to work together with them to have them mark on all the check stations mark where each animal was shot yeah and to put put that data in a video that would be amazing Mm -hmm. wouldn't that be the coolest data to have to like hey here's what hunters are actually doing mm-hmm. like here's where they're actually hitting the animals don't show it to the green people they will get so sad they would not like that <laughs> no but it's really only because like there's just more to know about the ballistic end of it and just knowing like how big of a margin you have in order to get that tiny target right because it gets bigger as you get further out right yeah uh, this is a weird comparison but it really is a lot like investing Mm-hmm. Like everybody feels like, no, I could pick which companies are going to do really well. And then if you look at the actual statistics of even like the best of the best guys that are hired and paid big money to pick a portfolio of companies to put in a, a fund, mm-hmm. like on average, they can't beat the S&P 500, which is just, you know, taking a little piece of the biggest 500 companies in the USA. Mm-hmm. And so everybody says, no, I, I think I can pick which companies are going to win. But when you actually look at the numbers, actually, uh, virtually no one can be can do that mm-hmm. over long periods of time. Like when you look at the actual fund managers, they can't beat it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's really fascinating. It and, is. And it really is the same thing with, with ballistics and guns. I, I think the biggest, the people that feel very confident are the ones that should feel the least confident. Mm-hmm. The Like somebody that says, no, I, I can't make 100% of shots out to 600 because I've tried and I've done this before. Um, I, I don't worry about that guy. Uh, he knows what the limits are and he knows when yeah. he's pushing it and when he's not pushing it. And hey, 
all of us, you know, are willing to put out some type of risk, you know, when we're when we're making that shot. But uh, I, I just worry about the mostly about the person that really has spent very very little effort. Maybe at the gun range, you know, popped a couple gongs at four hundred and is like ready to go <laughs> get out to 400 that's the guy that i'm like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> well i'm excited for you to show us what you can do and yeah should be should be fascinating we are working on the 600 yard hunter course and that's where i want to take these and lots of other mistakes that that we saw in this plus just shooting with lots of other guys and just compiling how to become a very effective hunter out to 600 yards and the reason that 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 I say 600 is I feel like in many scenarios a 600 shot 600 yard shot is possible but you have to have a lot of skill and knowledge to do it and you have to be accepting some type of risk in taking a shot out to that distance because again I don't think anybody can do it 100% of the time. Mhm. Cool. Anyway, going to be a fun project, but that one's going to take us a little bit to to put together. I really want to put together a pretty awesome course for that one. Yeah. Well, before we go, do you want to um, do you want to uh, tell them about your go hunt experience? You're wearing a go hunt shirt. Oh yeah. So it was just like yeah, my face. I went and recorded uh the I was on the go hunt podcast. I think I don't know when that episode's going to come out on their social. Uh, but just got to tour their facility. It's massive. They have a ginormous warehouse mm-hmm. on there. And so, uh, yeah. But pretty, you met. Awesome place. Now, they're, where Where are they like, are they in Las Vegas? Is that where their company is? Yep. Yep. And what did they sell? Like, Tell they, me about I their mean, company. It's a lot of optics and backcountry hunting gear. They... Mostly, you know, that's the the gear side of it, but I think they're best known for the software that, you know, does the filtering so you can figure out what what, um, hunting units to apply for, and they have hunting maps, which is the one that I've used for. Oh, they have an app. Yeah, like like we used on the the bear (laughs) hunt. Yes, okay. Go hunt. Yeah. And that's their big seller. Yeah, it's mostly the software, but I mean, the, the, the store is pretty massive now, too. They do have a local store, just one. Well, yeah, there is a little local storefront, but it's mostly people ordering online. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Which, by the way, um, we are starting to offer some products on the Backfire store that aren't just made by Backfire. Um, we just became a dealer of MDT bipods uh, that we currently have being shipped out to us. And I'm working on Burris Optics uh, to sell on the online store. I think it, uh, well, it's kind of a natural thing because we, so many people buy uh, optics and bipods and stuff through our affiliate links on the Backfire website that I thought, well, why don't we just offer them for sale? People can buy directly from us. Mm-hmm. The thing that I'm I'm trying, I've been pushing these companies is I'm trying to get it so that we can offer to Backfire Plus members those products lower than the yeah. app cost. Yeah. So for example, let's say there's a thousand dollar scope. Well, kind of an industry standard is a 30% margin to the store. Um, that is, you know, so if it's a thousand dollars scope, whoever the retailer is, is making 300 bucks on that sale. That's a pretty standard deal. So I'm trying to lean on them that, that they would allow us to sell to backfire plus members at less than that map price. So it would be less than anywhere else that you could get it because you're a backfire plus member. And I think we can do that because they're. Because it wouldn't be a price that we advertise publicly. You know, it's the minimum advertised price and we aren't advertising it. It would just be Backfire Plus members that would know, hey, if I go to the store, I can get 10% off everything. So one scope, I mean, if you're buying a $1,000 scope, you get a hundred bucks off. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and so I'm trying to get at least 10%. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they'll all let us to let us do it, but I'm trying because I think that'd be really cool. Uh, to be able to, you know, so getting bipods and scopes, you'd be able to get it because you're a Backfire Plus member cheaper than literally anywhere else. Can't get it cheaper than that. So mm-hmm. anyway, can I'm anyone on. buy what? What's the protocol for buying gun accessories online? You don't. I mean, anyone can do it. 
Yeah, you can buy absolutely anything except the action. Mm-hmm. The action is the one that you've got to go through the FFL. So if it's a complete gun, there's an action there. Got to go through the FFL, you know, your local dealer. But, you know, scope, bipod, tripod, stock, ammo, just ship it. The only issue, ammo is becoming a little bit of an issue in some states uh, where they're trying to restrict online sales of ammo. Um, but pretty much you can just ship anything. Cool. Anyway. Oh. Well, oh, I was going to say, I was trying to think what I was thinking of, but it was the turret tags. Do you mind telling us the status of that? Yeah. So um, a couple people ordered after we let the cat out of the bag in our uh, in our last podcast. I might have got a little too excited. Well, I don't I thought you had already talked about it. So sorry. If no, I no, it was good. On that. It was good. We like the early access. Anyway, <laughs> so on March 6th is when we're so we've had, you know, prototypes sent in from the manufacturer that's doing the stickers. Um, and so this the final run that we're going to actually have stock to sell comes into us on March 6th, and then we're going to ship them out right after that. We, we won't be announcing it on YouTube. Mm, I, I don't know. We haven't even decided which video yet. But yeah, for, for Backfire Plus members, you'll know uh, turret tags, which is the little stickers that go on the on the scope that we mentioned in the last podcast. Uh, March 6th, we can, we can start shipping those. Oh. Uh, so you can order them right now. We just won't be shipping them until we actually have them in. Uh, a, a couple things. One is it's freaking awesome. It's the best thing ever. Like it's it's the <laughs> it's the simplest solution to that problem. Yeah. To just quickly being able to shoot. Like it's such a good solution to it. Just the the, the caveat is it's it's not gonna like look perfect on your turret because you put the little stickers on that are nice and neat, but then you wrap that clear strip around it and you just get these tiny, tiny little air bubbles on the edges of the sticker. And so it just doesn't look quite as perfect, but it functions perfectly and it's a cheap solution to a big problem. So anyway. Well, that's the best kind of products, I think, is that when the person who invented them actually wanted the solution because- I want it bad. I want every one of my guns just boom, got your turret tags. I can pick it up, go make a 450 yard shot. No app, no nothing. Just pick it up and go. It's like if kids, awesome. yes, if kids made their own toys, that would be so much better than buying the toy and having it crappy when they got back. It would actually function well. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, turret tags are pretty cool, and it's like it's twelve dollars. It's such a easy solution for that. And I like seriously, for a lot of people, it might make you kill twice as many animals right it would make you quicker on the gun for sure yeah seriously because there's so often that is the limiting factor is you were just a little too slow yeah on the gun and this can uh-huh. shave off a significant portion of that time it's very cool anyway pretty cool. and you don't have to buy like new scopes or turrets or anything like that so yeah. that's very exactly cool jav just pop it on there anyway pretty cool yeah we need to be recording videos you know the like install video and stuff this week. I want to have that when you get it, we have a clear tutorial on like how exactly do you get the dope for your guns? So you know where to put the stickers and everything, Um, you know, just how to do the, your ballistics and stuff for the mm-hmm. gun. So anyway, that's the plan. Jim, you are so smart. You teach me always. I just love this stuff. It's fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody for joining us on this episode of the man cast. We'll see you in the next one. Have a great week.